This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. I'm Elizabeth Krecker. Elizabeth has returned uh, from her long absence on the podcast. She helped us, as you may remember, in season one with Maine, Maine, Vermont, and what was the other state? Wisconsin, I think. Yes. Yes. So today we're going to be doing some deep dives uh, over two episodes. Episode number one is going to be focusing on everybody's favorite grape that nobody remembers exists, (laughs) Barbera. So we're going to be starting off with the GD Vera Barbera de Alba, according to the back of the label here. Our Barbera de Alba DOC is sourced from very old soils. Harvest is done by hand, selecting single berries in order to express the purity of red and wild berries, graphite, hay, and hence of spices. This is a lot more information than you normally get on a lot of uh, Italian wine labels. Um, I should have told, um, called Megan and asked for, uh, her to comment on these labels, but, uh, womp womp, because she's the, the graphic design artist, but, uh, I like this label personally. It's got these two birds sitting in a cluster of grapes. Uh, if this was an American bird, I would probably call these yellow warblers, but, uh, for one, yellow warblers don't live in grapevines, and two, yellow warblers aren't found in northern Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Elizabeth is going to kind of talk us through uh, how psalms taste wine, because she is is a psalm. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So I've reached the level of certified sommelier, and the next level is advanced. So right now I've been training for advanced. But what we're going to start with today is the certified psalm examination deductive tasting sheet. When we, pre- when we taste these wines, because it's really a great introduction into the whole process of tasting wine. Not that you need to learn how to taste wine. We can all put wine on our mouth and taste it and enjoy it. And, you know, even kind of figure out some of the flavors like blackberry or, you know, red cherry or stuff like that. But this is a much more deep dive process. And the idea behind this process is to really seriously get to know these wines like you've never gotten to know these wines before. And you dig into everything from the way the wine looks in the glass to the to what you smell to you know to how it feels in your mouth and then the idea is to taste them blind and come to your conclusion about what the wine is and there's a whole process for that we're going to kind of skip that last part of the process yeah we, already know we what know what these are <laughs> um it might well if i had been thinking about this um i would have had if we had a third or fourth person on this, I might ra- have wrapped these bottles up. Yeah. That would and been... say, these are the three locations. Choose which is which. But, uh, you know, hindsight uh, is twenty twenty, which I'm starting to think that saying is some sort of guarded warning from a time traveler about the nature of this year. <laughs> <laughs> and really, that's okay, because this is the first time doing it. So we got to walk through the process in the first place and just kind of get to know that. So I was tasting, when I was getting ready for the SOM exam, I was tasting, going through tastings, using these sheets for wines, 
probably at least three times a week and often more. And that's a lot. You know, that's a lot of study and kind of nerding out over wine when you could just be sitting back and really enjoying it. So, but what I found is this process has really helped me to enjoy wine more because now when I taste a wine that I really like and I really spend some time with it, I can pull out all kinds of flavors that I never would have noticed before. You know, earth, clay, those kinds of flavors that you kind of get sort of this dirt in the wine, which doesn't sound very interesting because who wants to put dirt in their mouth? But it's so delicious when it's I did wine. when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> it's so delicious when it's in wine or it mushrooms is. or, I mean, there's so many amazing nuances in wine. It's, it really is truly an amazing beverage. Uh, agreed. Uh, I, you know, um, my brain just killed over and died there for a moment. Now, I think it would also help you kind of understand what you like about a given wine better and what you don't like about a uh, a given wine better uh, than, say, just average, you know, just sitting back and, and kicking back with a glass. And, and also, um, you know, I've mentioned before, of course, I'm a CSW. Uh, the CSW is different from sort of the SOM, which is different from WSET. Each has its own kind of focus on how to approach a wine. Um, based on my experience, SOM is focused often more on selling wine at restaurants or as a distributor um, or in a restaurant setting and teaching in that setting. A CSW is sort of general wine education and... I honestly have no flipping idea what the role of W set is. Do you? No, I'm afraid I really don't. And it's it's not out of lack of interest. I just I've been busy doing other things. Yeah, I, I mean maybe it's a combination of both. I, I don't really know. Yeah. And that's kind of why I went for a CSW because having worked in a tasting room, you know, it's like I don't really need to sell people in a restaurant. I need to teach people how to approach wine better and approach the wines that I have in a tasting room that I'm working at at a given time. And now that I'm not in a tasting room, it's a bit weird. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes it still comes in handy. Mm -hmm. So what do we do first? Okay, so the first step, we're going to taste through this first wine. And the first step is to look at the color. And what I always do is flip over my tasting sheets. So you've got a nice white background. You kind of tilt the glass and you really give the color a good look. So this is, yeah, it's a really beautiful color. It's a really deep color and it's got kind of purple red around the rim. So that indicates youth, right? Generally, um, some wines tend to age faster. Like Nebbiolo, for example, a wine the same age that's made from Nebbiolo will probably already have a garnet rim. That's true. Whereas a wine, this wine has a very purple rim which is a sign of it, its youth. It's a th only three years old, but it's also a sign of the kind of grape it is. And that color is also dependent on acidity, isn't it? I don't think so, because Nebbiolo's not a low acid wine. It's not a high acid wine. It's just kind of right in the middle. But isn't Barbera more acidic than it, Nebbiolo? It is more acidic, but I don't know that the color of the rim is necessarily directly relates to the acidity because there's wines that have much lower acidity than Barbera, like Grenache, for example, yeah. that'll have that same color. You're right. Yeah. 
What color would we call this? I would call it purple. And it's got hints of, it's really purple. And you know, when they say purple as wine, what they really mean is red purple. There are some wines that are purple purple, like more kind of what I think of as purple, which is a blue purple. But really what they mean is red purple. So anything red purple on up is purple. Now the rim color is where it gets really interesting. And of course, in the certified program, you don't have to worry about rim color. But when you get into the advanced program, you do have to worry about rim color. Um, so the rim color could be magenta, orange, or brick. And I would say this is magenta. Yeah, that's definitely magenta. Yeah. Whoa! The other thing you really see on this wine looking at it in the glass is there's definitely some extraction it's not a lot but there's a little bit of extraction when you roll the wine around the glass and what that means is there's like just a little purple color in the little rivers of wine that kind of dribble down your glass after you've rolled it around in your glass which is really beautiful Now, because everyone asks me this question, and probably everyone asks you this question, uh, legs on a wine, do they mean anything, yes or no? Yes, actually they do. They're a sign of the level of alcohol. It's not the only sign of the level of alcohol, but it's a sign of the level of alcohol. It's also a sign of the level of concentration in the wine, which is something you'll, you'll find more on the palate. So for example, a wine that's made from a brand new vineyard, maybe from grapes that are from vines that are maybe only four or five years old, is likely not to have as deep of rivers as the same wine made from grapes that are 30 years old, you know, and from vines that are 30 years old. Those, those grapes are going to be much more concentrated. So it's a combination of the concentration of the wine as well as the alcohol in the wine. Okay. This is really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, this color is amazing. Yeah. So what's next? So next is what we smell. So what's the first fruit that kind of pops off your nose when you smell this wine? For me, it's raspberry. Raspberry? Yeah, for me it's kind of more red cherry, but either way it's red fruit is what we're smelling first. But right behind it, kind of screaming up behind it is black fruit. Yeah. I'm getting raspberry, black cherry, and then cutting in like a freight train is something a little bit darker. Almost like a, maybe a boysenberry. Mmm. Kind of a blue fruit. Mulberry. Yeah. Fresh picked mulberries. That's a good call. Well, I had to mull it over for a minute. <laughs> So, and then what's the condition of the fruit? Is it tart fruit? Is it ripe? Is it jammy? Is it like kind of baked, dried? I would say that this is ripe. Um, it's not baked. It's maybe a little tart, but I'd say it's more ripe than tart. Yeah, and you can put both on your sheet if you want to. You could put ripe and tart on the nose.
There's also a few other aromatic characters that I'm getting, but I, I guess we haven't gotten that far yet. It's delicious, but I, I mean, I haven't even tasted it yet, yeah. but to me, it's really delicious. We, we, I already know I'm going to like this, yeah. <laughs> just by the nose of this wine alone. So what are the, some of the non-fruit aromas that you're finding on this wine? Eucalyptus. Yeah. There's something really savory on Eucalyptus it, Eucalyptus and bay leaf. There's something really savory on it, too, like bacon. I could see, like, smoked bacon or... or bacon or um, now I'm just hungry and thinking about bacon <laughs> almost like Canadian bacon there's something else too there's a little bit of floral character in there too not much but it's lurking yeah kind of purple flowers I would say maybe violet or iris no not iris iris is too light. I would go with violet. Definitely. <clears throat> this is, I haven't tasted it yet, but I keep thinking this is so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> really psyched to actually taste it. Like, do you taste any kind of organic earth? Wet, wet leaves, mushrooms, forest floor? On the nose, maybe just a hint of graphite. Yeah, that's what I'm getting too. I'm not really getting any but of those. But nothing really more earthy than that. Okay, you ready for your first taste? Yes. All right. less fruity than I was expecting. And it's not a bad thing at all. Mm -hmm. So this is um, definitely a high acid wine, mm -hmm. which is very classic for Barbera. And it really is, I, I, I would guess, I'm totally guessing here, but I would guess these are definitely come from older vines. Makes because sense. Cause some real concentration. Well, we, uh, you were talking, well, we were talking off the air a little bit before this about the history of Barbera. Um, that originally it was uh, kind of a workhorse grape and everyone planted it on the, on the more fertile valleys. And then people started moving it towards the higher mountains to produce better quality Barbera and were very pleasantly surprised at the result. It's really delicious. Now, are you picking up any other flavors? I'm really not getting a lot of oak flavor. I'm thinking this was aged in neutral oak. There's a little bit of black pepper. A little bit of tobacco. But just the tiniest hint of oak. Just pale vanilla. So yeah, I'm thinking this was also neutral oak. 
It just doesn't have that big oak character. There's also no real oak tannins. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, I would say this wine isn't super tannic at all. There's some tannins, but they definitely seem to be yeah. coming from the grape rather than the oak. It's definitely on the low to moderate side, somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood. It's totally delicious, though. I can see this wine pairing really well. What would you actually? Let's keep marching through. Have we have we figured out all the flavors and aromas, and we're comfortable with what we've said so far? And the, especially the balance of the structure. Had to take a third sip just to make sure. <laughs> I'd say this is a really well balanced wine. Yeah. It's got that balance between acidity, fruit. Um, a little bit of tannin, earth, everything is just kind of, uh, it honestly kind of makes me think of, uh, and this is something for my generation, not yours, uh, the, the first part of the, uh, opening scenes for Avatar The Last Airbender, everything was in harmony, um, and then the Fire Nation attacked, but the Fire Nation is not attacking here. <laughs> that would be something very, very hot. Um, it's also very balanced alcohol-wise, too. Yeah, and you know, it's very classic old-world wine because there's almost more of an emphasis on those non-fruit flavors, which is an old-world wine characteristic, as opposed to an emphasis on the fruit flavors. We'll have to see if the two American Barbaros that we have kind of demonstrate that difference, but there's definitely, I, I find this wine really fascinating. Very delicious. I wouldn't say it's a particularly complex wine. No, but it doesn't have to be complex to be good and enjoyable. It's really As enjoyable. I've said before countless times on this podcast. Um, I really want a pizza with this. Mm-hmm. Mm. I could see this with um, a really savory pasta dish. Something made with you know, Italian sausage and, yeah. you know, a red sauce. I think that would be pretty delicious. Kind of big pasta noodles. Just a really safe, or, or lamb meatballs. Yum, mm -hmm. yum, yum. <laughs> I think this is a fabulous pairing wine. Where did I put that cork? There it is. Stick this in here so fruit flies don't get in. Oh, dear. Hold on, I gotta put the mic back up. Okay. Because this blew over. There we go. So in the pairing part for the certified sommelier process is really important because that's the whole point. Yeah. You're supposed to, somebody's ordering a dish and they ask you a wine and you, you want to be able to give them a really appropriate response. So you wouldn't want to pair this, for example, with swordfish. No. Even though it's a full-bodied fish, it just really wouldn't work with this The wine. acidity would wipe out the flavor of the swordfish. Yeah, there's just a little too much flavor for to hold up next to swordfish. I, I cannot think offhand, that's my phone, sorry, uh, of a red that would probably work with swordfish, unless we're talking maybe a rosé. Or a pinot noir. I think a nice bright Pinot Noir could go well with, especially with a swordfish dish that's made with a lot of herbs or something, that makes or sense. some kind of sauce. Maybe Pinot d'Anjou. 
or Chenin Noir, as it's also called, which is probably my favorite obscure grape variety. Oh, that reminds me. I have a bad psalm joke for you. <laughs> uh, about how long can you age a Chenin Blanc? Long time. Seven years. Were <laughs> <Oy> they? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Anyway. Okay. Well, that was delicious. So and anything? So you pretty much walked through the process. The only part we skipped was where you kind of guess what what grape do you think this might be? Is it new world or old world? What's the climate? You know. Well, this definitely just judging by this, not even that I know the fact of where this is from. This is definitely an old world because it's sort of balanced and everything's in harmony. There's not one character overwhelming. The Tawar is starting to seep through. Um, I would say definitely cooler climate rather than warmer climate. And that does fit Barbaro d'Alba. Piedmont, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I think the high acidity of this wine would steer you away from anything else. Like, it wouldn't be Sangio because it's yeah. not quite that high acid. It wouldn't be Nebbiolo because it's not really bright enough. Not only that, just looking at the color of this alone. Yeah, the color is just not right for either one of those two. I mean, you might be able to argue, okay, this is a form of Sangiovese. Maybe. Nah. But. You'd have to really stretch it. <laughs> again, you'd have to really stretch it. Well, and the I, point is someone could argue it versus if someone came to me and said, oh, this is a Nebbiolo, you'd be like, what are you on, crack? <laughs> yeah, nothing like it. So I think, and, and it's pretty, e uh, to me, it's easy to designate this as an Italian wine because of the savory quality of the flavor. That's very Italian. Yeah. So when it comes to food pairings, what attributes are we looking for in terms of a food pairing? Well, you're looking at... For example, why would you pair this with pizza rather than swordfish? Uh, the fullness of the flavor would steer you away from swordfish because um, the swordfish is just too light in flavor. And it would overtake... This wine would overtake the flavor of the swordfish, even if you put... A savory sauce with it or um, you know herbs on the swordfish it still would be just a little too much for this wine you might be able to have a Pinot Noir with it but this wine is just a little bigger than that in terms of its flavor um, even though it's high acidity which is typically something you might pair with fish um, I think the bigness of the flavor would steer me away from swordfish for this wine and really like if you were serving a table and someone was ordering swordfish and someone else was ordering lamb and someone else was ordering pasta I'd still stay away from this wine it just would be a little too big I'd try to find something lighter for them probably what would you pinot pair in that situation where they want one bottle for three different dishes like that probably pinot noir okay. that's a really safe wine. either a pinot noir or a big white like chardonnay because chardonnay can hold its own against a piece of lamb that's true might be tough on steak but piece of lamb. Well, if it's it. an amber chardonnay, it can hold up against steak, but yeah, true. not many people are making, well, you're not going to find in most restaurants an amber wine made of chardonnay, let alone any amber wine, really. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because I do love them. And actually, it was an amber wine that I had on the day that I celebrated my CSW. I had a Slovenian amber wine with some steak, and it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. 
Well, shall we go to Nevada? Absolutely. So I bought this bottle directly from the winery when I visited a couple of years ago. So this is an older one. Uh, this is 2014. 2014. So this is a Barbera from Nevada. This is going to be really interesting. Let me okay. know when you're ready to... Uh, dun, 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 dun. She's pouring it into her spit cup. <laughs> That's why I'm doing the, the taps theme. Trying to not get too tipsy. There we go. Ooh, very red. Really interesting. I just see that when you poured it. Almost like a completely different wine. You ready to jump in? Yeah. Okay. So this is definitely red in color. And it's got a little bit of age. It's got a little garnet on the rim. I'd say it's clear. It's almost day bright. Mm -hmm. It's so bright. The other wine was um, opaque. This one, you can see right through it. That rim you're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, no, not just the rim. Like, if you tilt it against a piece of white. Yeah, it is. You can see right through it. You could, you know. See. I can read the pages of Exactly. The... the other wine was so opaque, I think you'd have a hard time reading, reading be under, you know, reading through it. Um, no rim variation. That's just gone, this... which is interesting. Because the other one definitely had rim, I'm uh, not rim variation, I'm sorry, extract. Yeah, no extract, not really much in the way of those legs or tears either. Yeah, it's really interesting. Same exact grape. It's just remarkable. Well, you got to figure that these vines are probably much younger too. True. And but... the soil is going to be very different. I'm going to read the back of this uh, label here. By the way, this label is screen printed on. It's really a beautiful label. Yeah, it's very stark. Bar uh, 2014 Nevada Barbera. Barbera is a dark-skinned red grape variety with its origin traced to Italy. High acidity complements the cherry and bright fruit flavors, and Barbera is a great accompaniment to pasta with red tomato sauce. We are excited to be the first to produce a Nevada Barbera. We are proud to help pioneer the wine industry in Nevada, and this Barbera is a reflection of that effort. Please enjoy this unique wine with good food and great friends. Winemakers and proprietors, Bill and Gretchen Loken. Uh, and this is from Pahrump, Nevada, uh, which is where three out of the four vineyards in uh, Nevada are located. <laughs> so it, it reminds me when I, when I was visiting Vegas with my friend Rachel, um, we were talking to one of the Uber drivers about taking a trip to Pahrump and the immediate thought of the drivers that we were going to visit one of the uh, <clears throat> uh, special ranches and uh, fluffy air quotes. And then he did not know that there were wineries out there at all. Huh. And so it's like, no, actually, uh, I have no interest in that. We're visiting wineries in Pahrump. Completely different aromatic character, too. Oh, it's got tons of aromas and very fruity. Fruity and also super herby. Those mm -hmm. herbs are really prominent, much more than in the uh, D'Alba. I wonder if that's a, a characteristic of Barbera, though, because the herbs were, you know, they weren't leaping out of the glass quite like they are in this wine, but they're pretty, pretty strong. And I would almost say that this wine has more of a strong herb character than, than fruit character to me. 
Well, according to Guildsom, who puts together these beautiful tasting sheets um, on different grapes, really the more popular grapes, definitely herbs is on the list. Dried herbs, tea leaf, bergamot oil. I could see bergamot oil, uh, not tea leaves, but I'm definitely getting that eucalyptus again, that bay leaf. Um, almost also a sage character in this one, too. Yeah, definitely sage. Which I'm... The area in Pahrump does have a lot of sagebrush, and which makes me wonder if that's part of the Tawar characteristics for this region. And it's been almost a year and a half since I've had another Nevada wine, so I can't really, uh, so I can't really comment on that. Yeah, a lot of dried herbs, a lot of different dried herbs is kind of what I'm. Yeah, sage, uh, bay leaf, bergamot oil, eucalyptus. Maybe a little bit of basil. Almost a, it almost reminds me of a like a really good marinara sauce too. In some ways, and the herbaceousness of it. I'm not getting the stewed tomato. Right, or the thickness. Or of the thickness marinara. of it, yeah. but I'm getting those herbs that are in marinara. Yeah, this is almost lighter. We haven't tasted it yet, of course, but this tastes almost like it's going to have more of a pinot pinot noir like flavor than the first one we tasted. Like these are really different. Usually with New World, Old World wines, there's certain similarities you find. Like it's, and there's certain things that leap out that are different. For example, um, a New World wine's more likely to have bigger fruit notes, whereas an Old World wine will have stronger um, non-fruit notes and flavors. Um, I mean, those are kind of typically what you see, but this wine almost is like a completely different grape. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It is really beautiful. I know I always say that, but that's because I really love wine. <laughs> so we got some ravens flying around. You ready for the sip? I am. Wow, that's weird. It's so much thinner. Mm -hmm. and character I'd say that's a sign that the grapes are more youthful but it has a lot of similarity to the first wine it's very high acid very low tannin um, and it's got it, that that all those flavor all those aromas that we taste aromas we tasted good grief <laughs> aromas we smelled <laughs> um, a lot those same aromas are coming through on the palate and they're much stronger than you would normally find on a New World wine. Yeah. If it was a New World wine, we'd be... You know, I'm, yeah, you would be expecting a lot more fruit. Yeah. The fruit is there, that sort of raspberry, cherry again. I'm not getting any mulberry. Or really any blackberry. Or any blackberry. It's Maybe really, cranberry. Yeah, it's all red fruit. Yeah. Cranberry, I think, would be the third fruit here. We, I mean, this is also, you know, three years older than the 17. So, you know, some of this could be due to age. Mm -hmm. Oh, the gloves are coming off. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot they were on. <laughs> we're trying to be, this is a socially distanced podcast. Yes. So, Cody is sitting far at the other side. We were wearing masks and gloves the whole time we were setting up. So, we're being very cautious and 
and we're enjoying a spectacular view because we're sitting outside. Hopefully the breeze is not uh, interfering too much with the recording. Uh, the breeze comes in and out. It doesn't look like it's affecting it much, but uh, uh, it's only got a little bit of uh, leveling on the, on the screen of this mic. So here's an interesting thing to leap ahead to the pairing. This is a wine that actually I would pair with the same things that you could pair a Pinot Noir with. Okay. I mean, if you had a table where someone's having swordfish and someone is having chicken and someone's having lamb, you could easily serve this wine. And it would work with all three. I could see that, actually. I, I, I could see this, actually, especially with, like, lamb, too. Mm -hmm. Like lamb meatballs. Or, uh, you know, maybe stewed rabbit or a rabbit stew. Uh-huh. Ooh, yummy. Actually, that's my first instinct with this is a rabbit stew. That's so interesting. I don't know why, but it's just that feeling. Maybe maybe it's because I've been reading too much Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and it's uh, the brace of conies that uh, Sam turns into a stew. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Yeah, it sounds that's actually a, really delicious with a lot of herbs. And yeah, it. that savory. The one rabbit stew I've had had all these herbs and characters in it, which make me think of this wine. Yeah. And almost the same collection of herbs, too. Uh, there was sage. Uh, the difference being that there was no bergamot. There was uh, tarragon, I think, instead. Um, but there was bay leaf and sage. So, and one thing I wouldn't serve it with that we did pick out for the other one is you know, the other wine we picked out, you know, kind of savory sauce on, on pasta or a pizza. I wouldn't call this a pizza wine. No, it's not. Yeah. It's, too delicate for that. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I don't know that this would have aged much longer either. Um, I'm kind of glad we drunk it when we did. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barbera's not always known to be as age-worthy as, say, Barolo or... Yeah. Um, sorry, Nebbiolo or Dolcetto, the other main grapes of the Piedmont. Um, the... the well, Tale I've heard tell, to use horrible grammar, tale I've heard tell, um, is that uh, you would drink your Barbera while you're waiting for your Barolos, Barbarescos, and Dolcettos to age. Mm. By the time your Barbera is just about faded into not being able to drink, then your Barolos, Barberas, or your Barolos, your Barbarescos, your Dolcettos are finally ready to to taste yeah. and drink. Have you ever tasted a wine that was past its age? I have. I have too, and it was so sad. Yeah. Because it was. I bought two bottles, and one I tasted like three years ago, and it was totally delicious. And the other one I tasted just a couple weeks ago, and I mean, it wasn't bad. It's not like there was anything wrong with it. It just really didn't have any flavor. Yeah. It was a shame. It was something I would put in my stew yeah when i was making a stew you know probably really liven up that stew but it's not necessarily something you want to drink yeah it was sad <laughs> no i I'm, I'm with you that was about the experience that i had uh as well okay ready for the last one all righty i gotta crack open this guy
And then while we're doing that, why don't you read a little bit about Barbera from the Holy Red Wine Book? Instead of us waiting in silence for me to open this, I will pass this to you. <laughs> Comments from down below. <laughs> Origins and parentage. Some authors have suggested that Barbera, the name Barbera, derives from Venom Berberus, a medieval fermented drink made from barberry. Do you know what barberries are? They're uh, a type of European berry. Yeah, it's a funky little berry. We used to have some growing at one, my house when I was a kid in Connecticut. We had barberries growing. It's got kind of a funky flavor. It's an intense red color. It's acidic, very astringent, a bit like Barbera wines. Huh. <laughs> Hence the name Barbera. So it's usually believed to have originated in the hills of Montferrato in central Piedmont. However, to the best of our knowledge, and this would be the authors of the book, Jancis Robinson, Julia Harding, and Jose Vuimos, um, to the best of our knowledge, the first reliable reference to the name Barbera came at the end of the 18th century when Conte Novellone Pergamo, hmm. a very elegant count, I'm sure, uh, mentioned a variety known as Barbera near Asti in northwest Italy. He also mentioned Avitus vinifera montus ferratensis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That was often identified with Barbera. So this book gets into a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can you can go in as deep as you want or as shallow as you'd like. I'm going to jump right over to viticultural characteristics. There we go. Because I think that's one of the reasons why it's one of the it's the I think it's the third. There's about. First is Sangiovese. They've got the most acreage. Next is, what is next? Third, second. I'm not remembering what's next. Do you? I want to say Primitivo, but I'm not sure that that's right. No, I don't think that is. Whatever's next. And then there's Barbera. And which is funny because hardly anybody really knows the name Barbera, but it really makes delicious wine. The Italian census of 2000 shows total plantings of 28,365 hectares, which is the equivalent of 70,000 acres. It's a lot of land. Um, and it's, it's oh, Montepulciano, that's number two. Oh, okay, yeah. Which is really fascinating because who knows, I mean, people always think Montepulciano is really, it's a confusing name, but we can talk about that. Oh, we will. We'll talk yeah. about that when we uh, <laughs> go into the full Monte. Yeah. So yeah, it's a. I think it's a really fascinating grape. Now this particular wine is actually a 50-50 blend of, um, is it Cabernet? No, it's uh, Merlot and Barbera. Merlot and Barbera. A 50-50 blend of Merlot and Barbera, which I think You were going to read viticultural characteristics, though. Oh, 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 oh. I got distracted. Forgive Sorry. Me. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I'm easily distracted. It doesn't take much. I know. I have attention deficit who's shiny as well. <laughs> so it's productive. It ripens late after Dolcetta, but before Nebbiolo, but it retains a high level of acidity, even when it's fully ripe and a deep ruby color. So my lab partner in um, winemaking class, specifically in the wine chemistry class, a guy named Ron. Now he's got property in 
Wilcox, which is a great wine growing region here in Arizona, but he also has a house in Mesa. He's got an acre lot. So when he was first learning about wine, he knew he wasn't going to get any grapes that you could really make wine from because it's too hot in Phoenix, right? So he planted, I don't remember all the grapes he planted, but he planted Barbera. It was one of the grapes that he planted in his yard. And of course, it wasn't very much. He only has an acre. So it was just a few to just kind of play with during the week, you know, while he was getting ready for his career change into winemaking. And so when it came harvest time, when the grapes were finally old enough that he had enough that he could actually have a harvest, and he harvested the first two, of course, they were totally not anything you would make wine out of. They were tasty, but not anything you'd make wine out of. And then he harvested the Barbera. Miraculously, the acid in that Barbera and the pH were perfect for making wine. Oh. Go figure. So he And it was last year, so he made wine. So I haven't called him to find out how the wine is progressing. But he went ahead and made wine from it. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I think this would be a great grape to have in your vineyard to support winemaking too, as, you know, as well as to make wine by itself, but also to support other winemaking, especially in Arizona. Because Arizona is so hot that the grapes, by the time the grape is actually physically ripe, the acid has often plummeted. And it makes it hard to make wine with a high pH, low acid. You know what I mean? So if you had something to blend into that wine like Barbera, perfect. And especially if you have a really nice complex grape that you're making wine from. Well, in the case of the the Nevada Barbera, um, the elevation and climate of Pahrump is very similar to Wilcox. Okay. Um, maybe a little bit hotter, maybe a little bit drier. Okay. But again, it makes sense that this Barbera was doing well. And so it, of course, New Mexico is, I don't know where that was grown. Does it say on the bottle or does it just say New Mexico? Uh, Luna County. So this is probably going to be coming uh, from uh, Luna Rosa Vineyard uh, near Deming, which again is very similar climate-wise yeah. to Wilcox. Yeah. So this wine was made by Maynard Keenan, who some people would know not as a winemaker, but as a rock and roll musician. And a really excellent rock and roll musician. I will say, by and large, though, uh, while his music is good, I tend to like his wines better than I like his music. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, um, there are some exceptions that prove the rule, especially songs that he's done under Pussifer. Uh, that particular band, and A Perfect Circle. I really am not a huge fan of Tool, personally, but that's just me. Well, it's interesting because um, I never even heard of them, to tell you the truth. So, um, but that's because I'm from a different era, and that kind of music, even in my era, I wouldn't have gravitated towards anyway. It just was never really my cup of tea. I listened to classical music, stuff like that. So, um, so I had never really heard of him. So it was kind of interesting coming across him. But he's he's quite a musician, very famous in his circles. You know, always has to be cautious of people who are chasing him down and stuff like that. Um, he lives not very far from where we are here in Jerome. We cannot see his house from here. Yeah. <laughs> but we could probably throw a rock and it might even land on it. So That's true. <laughs> he's literally that close to us. And he's very involved in supporting the Arizona wine industry. I mean, personally involved. Yeah. He's also personally, I mean, he is the winemaker on all of his wines. So much different than the typical musician who owns a winery. Or any other sort of celebrity winemaker. Yeah, where they go out and they find somebody like me or Cody to make the wine for them. And really, theirs is the face of the winery. But um, Maynard's definitely the hands of the winery. 
And of course, he has a lot of people he's brought on board to support him, but he's really the, the magic behind the wine. So this will be a special one to taste. I'm going to read the back label here. Uh, this particular wine is called Le Cortegan, uh, Le Cortegan Orneste. I may be butchering that because my Italian is horrible. Le Cortegane Le, 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 le Cortegane Oneste, 2013. Generally speaking, Barbera and Merlot have been relegated to subservient roles within their respective regions and blends. The misconception is that these mistresses are only there to quietly support, inspire, and complete the royal class of the Benefera. We wholeheartedly disagree. These honorable courtesans, that's the translation of the name, I guess, are elegantly full-bodied, complex, and concentrated and they are fully capable of holding their own under any and all high court scrutiny. 50% Barbera, 50% Merlot, hand-picked, sorted, and punched, open top and submerged cap fermentation, modified cold carbonic maceration, bottle age 22 months, new and neutral French oak. Yum, yum, yum. I can't wait to taste this wine. This is also an older wine. I've had this in my cellar for quite some time. Honestly, Megan, by the way, has said that she uh, is willing to comment on labels, so we will give her a call uh, when we're done commenting on this wine. Wonderful. So I'm texting her pictures of these labels. Uh, Megan, also known as Benny Vitti Drinky, uh, is our judgmental graphics designer. <laughs> but she actually designs uh, labels for a couple different wineries around here. How fun. That would be a fun job. She loves it. <laughs> you get to taste the wines. You get to be opinionated about it. <laughs> All that stuff. Did I ever read the viticultural characteristics, or do I continue to be distracted? You finished, I think, with viticultural okay. characteristics. But if you want to talk about where it's grown and what it tastes like. Well, it's generally grown in Piedmont. It's also grown in other places in Italy. Um, let's see. Where else is it grown? Mostly Piedmont, though. It's also grown. In, I forget, It's also grown in Emilia Romagna. Oh. Um, the most famous thing out of Emilia Romagna, I think, is um, not Francocorda, although there is Francocorda there. Uh, Lambrusco. Lambrusco, true. Yeah. Which people seem to love to hate, but I actually like a good dry Lambrusco now and again. Well, you want to know something really interesting about Barbera? I do. It, it can also be made into a bubbling wine. I have actually... Uh, so when uh, I was back east the last time, almost exactly a year ago, um, one of the bottles that I thought about bringing back, but I couldn't justify it because uh, my finances were in a dire array because I was in the middle of moving from... Uh, I had just finished moving from here to Bisbee and all that fun stuff. Uh, was a pet nat uh, made at an urban winery in Washington, D.C. from Barbera. And that was District Winery. And they basically get most of their grapes either from Virginia or California. But they had a Barbera pet nat that was delicious and I loved it. But I decided instead to go for an amber wine made from Petite Mansang instead. Uh-huh. Because uh, I'm planning on eventually doing a Petite Mansang podcast. Oh, how fun. Uh, with Greg. 
Yeah. Uh, Greg Garner, because he's growing more Petite Man Sing than anyone else in the state. You know who else is growing Petite Man Sing? Kent Callaghan? Most of, for now, uh, most of, he's growing it, but most of the wine that he's making from it is coming from fruit from Greg. Oh, interesting. Hence, hence the wine being called Greg's. Well, there you go. Now you know. <laughs> but he did plant a bunch this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it'll be about three or four years before it uh, comes online, yeah. probably. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that'll be a fun one. I'm looking forward to that one. But I'm also looking forward to this wine. Oh, by the way, um, Barbera, before we get into tasting, it's also grown in Argentina, Australia, South Africa, Greece, Slovenia, and Israel. Sadly, Arizona's not mentioned. Little Neither Germany is California. Or Nevada. Neither California, because California's got some delicious Barbera. Yeah. Oh, so sad. But that's okay. I'm kind of surprised about Slovenia. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know there's somewhere, I want to say somewhere in Virginia is growing Barbera, too. Could be. And someone in Texas is. Well, this voluminous book, I'm sure, is due for uh, uh, a next edition. It was last published in 2012, so it's possible yeah. that all those Barberas hadn't really quite come, come into their own yet. This is true. Yeah. Okay. Again, this one's going to be a little bit different than the others because it is a 50-50 blend with Merlot. Yeah, it's an interesting combination to choose. I mean, obviously he had an artful reason for choosing this combination. His idea is that uh, I guess both of these are often as blending grapes, but, yeah. which is true of Merlot in Bordeaux, but I can't think of anything that's uh, a heavy Barbera blend off the top of my head. I, For my knowledge Barbera seems to be on its own well it's often in in Italy which is why you never heard of it it was always blended into other grapes like ah. Sangiovese and you know Barbaresco stuff like that so it, it is common a common blending grape which is why you've never really heard of it okay so hold on let's wait for this gust of wind it's going to be interesting to see so just in predicting the flavors, because it's a combination of Barbera and Merlot. Merlot is more of a low acid grape, and Barbera is a high acid grape. So it'll be interesting to see how the two kind of blend together. But you can definitely tell it's an older wine. But also that uh, rim looks more like our 2014 Nevada than our 2017 from Italy. Not only just in color, but also in clarity. It's not, op uh, it is more opaque, though. Yeah, it's kind of halfway between the other two wines. No rim variation, though. Lots of legs, really pretty legs. No, I shouldn't say no rim variation, no extract. I don't know why I keep mixing those two words up, forgive me. Because It's there's all your extract. fault. <laughs> But lots of viscosity. I mean, just rivers running down the side of this glass. So viscosity is the term that you would use to describe those legs in a psalm context. Legs, lots of legs, beautiful legs. Very elegant, actually. It's not like, sometimes the legs will sort of droop off the top of, you know, where they, they hit on the glass. But these are just very graceful, undulating down the side of the glass. Yeah. Well, one thing that really comes out on the aroma right off the bat 
is that savory quality. Yeah, again, the, the herbaceousness is coming out more. Uh, again, some of those same notes, but I'm also getting black pepper along with the eucalyptus, bay leaf, and I would say sage in this one as well. Interesting that we're both mentioning the non-fruit aromas first. On these last two, because for some reason the fruit seems to be obscured in these. Well, and it could be because they're both a little older wines, but it could also just be the grape. True. But that Barbero is so much more fruity on the on that opening salvo. Yeah. I mean, granted, the, the herbaceousness was coming like a freight chain right behind it, but... The other thing that I'm finding on this wine, too, is those blue fruit flavors, like the mulberry, the blueberry. Mulberry, blueberry, I almost said bilberry and blueberry at the same time. <laughs> um, so it came out as bullberry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the mulberry, the blueberry, uh, I would say plum, mm -hmm. more on this. And it seems to be, the fruit seems yeah, to be more Merlot fruit. character. But the herbaceousness definitely seems to me to be screaming Barbera. Do you get any other um, non-fruit flavors? I'm getting vanilla and sandalwood. And that seems to be the oak influence. This one seems to have probably seen more new oak than anything else we've tasted. I also get, a, and this is a very... Arizona flavor, but it may also well be a New Mexico flavor is kind of a dusty earth. Yeah, I could see that. Sort of like dust before a, coming before a storm, you know, the haboob. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know what that is, other than an inherently silly word, uh, here in Arizona, and I assume also in New Mexico, coming before the wake of monsoons and the desert areas, you get basically this wall of dust. And um, it's called a haboob after the Arabic term for the same thing. And the thing is that's interesting about that term is that I never encountered that term used to describe it until after the second Gulf War. Because mm -hmm. I remember people would just say dust storm beforehand. And then suddenly everyone started calling them a haboob after everyone came back from Iraq. <laughs> which I thought was very interesting. Okay, ready to taste? Mm hmm. Sorry, I tasted a little bit before. <laughs> I'd say that that's a high acidity, mm -hmm. but still low tannin. I mean, it's got tannins. It's they're not. Swish it around your mouth. Got a little more tannin than you thought, huh? <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> okay, yeah, I would say that. That's definitely medium, medium high. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, that, that Merlot brings a lot of tannin into the picture. It it's does. really a beautiful balance because you've got the acidity of the Barbera, a lot of fruit from both wines. Of course, it's older, so we're not tasting the fruit as much. As much. But on the palate, you're getting both red and 
purple fruit. Yeah. Well, you would get red and blue fruit on a Merlot. That'd be pretty classic. Yeah. In fact, you might even get blue fruit first on a Merlot. But in this case, it's kind of evenly balanced. I, again, I'm not getting the raspberry, but I am getting cherry, um, which to me is more Barbera character than Merlot character. Yeah. And then plum and bilberry and mulberry. Yeah, it's so interesting. So the flavors from Merlot are really coming out much stronger in this wine, but the structure of Barbera is coming up stronger, just lifted a little bit by some of the structure, like the tannin from the Merlot. Really fascinating. It's actually a beautiful combination. I think it was a brilliant pairing. Yeah. For a blend. It's a good combo. Yeah. Definitely some oak. Definitely a New World wine, though. There's enough mm -hmm. fruit in it that I wouldn't I wouldn't head towards Italy or any place like it. And definitely warm climate. Mm -hmm. That structure really gives the wine a lot of... Um, lift mm -hmm. that either varietal may not have on its own but when you put the two together it's really got a nice nice mouthfeel nice lift what would you serve with this wine my immediate thought is pork chops huh. marinated in olive oil and rosemary and grilled and lightly, grilled lightly grilled lightly grilled that would be beautiful that is my immediate first thought for pairing that is a brilliant pairing <laughs> thank you I, I almost can't think of anything else that would go with it maybe no mm -mm. i really can't think of anything else that would go with it as well as that hooray i'm useful just delicious <laughs> just delicious so we're gonna give megan a call here okay Hello to our uh, fantastic judgmental graphics designer, Venny Vidi Drinke, <laughs> who is apparently pissed at me that uh, we're drinking Italian varietals without her. Yeah, that's a little bit garbage. I'm a little upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. I'll, I'll see if I can uh, save some of these for you. Uh, let's start with the Italian. What did you think of that label? So, actually, kind of my first response when you sent it was, ooh, that's cute. <laughs> um, I'm kind of a fan of this one. I like the little design at the bottom with the, you know, the, the vines and the grapes and things like that and the little birds on it, which I'm sure you appreciate, too. I mean, yes. <laughs> By default. Um, you know, I think that's a nice little touch because otherwise it's kind of just a, you know, regular label you know i kind of like their logo thing going on with the, the kind of the, the little family flag or crest type thing um i actually kind of like that font too for whatever that is gd vara mm -hmm. yeah. um so i think that looks nice so overall I, yeah i like i like the vibe on this i also really like whatever font i don't know what it says but beneath the the cute little design that whatever that font is is fun <laughs> yeah um well the the 
the main check says Produto in Italia, but the little handwritten thing, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I'm like, I can't see what that actually says. Um, maybe it's, oh, you know what? I think it's something 2007. So it might be the artist. Yeah, so that's kind of neat. Um, and I mean, and, you know, the back of the label's pretty standard, so nothing super exciting there. Um, but what struck me as interesting is compared to that Barolo that we drank, it actually talks a little bit about the grape versus nothing at all. That's true. Let's see, what does it say? Oh, being sourced from old soils, selecting single berries in order to express. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I think, you know, some, some wineries, for the sake of not spending outrageous amounts of money on a label, they'll, you know, keep the labels as generic as possible, which... I'm starting to finally fully understand. <laughs> I mean, I always got it before, but just learning just how expensive labels are, I understand why a lot of places don't want to have anything terribly specific on their bottles unless they're huge producers. Um, it's a little ridiculous, honestly. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then, you know, it was really funny when you sent the Nevada Ridge one because my initial first you know thought of it was oh it kind of looks like the you know the caduceus labels and then you sent me a caduceus label. <laughs> yeah they are both uh, screen printed onto these bottles yeah which you know i i really like that look um i get a kick out of that i mean this, this nevada one's a little boring um i mean but i like when things are clean too you know i think the font has just enough you know it's I feel like it gives that vibe of, you know, superiority almost. Yeah. You know, with the very straight, but has a little thing on. Well, um, they have two lines in that tasting room, and this is their most expensive line, um, which okay. is all so Nevada like grown. That? So it makes sense that it's screen printed. Whoa! Oh, no. Stop <laughs> breaking things. I'm uh, sorry. The wind just kind of took all of our... Did it take uh, something you actually wrote on? I think it did. I think it took my tasting oh, no. sheet. Oh, no. I don't <laughs> it, went. it spilled my wine, everything. Oh, no. That's, <laughs> that's all right. That's it's not too bad of a mess. We'll figure it out. Eh, that wine grapes book has gotten more wine spilled on it than... <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is kind of simplistic and stark. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot going on, but, but yeah, I, I think because of that, it's almost like, you know, it's standing up very tall with its, you know, shoulders back, and it's like, I'm sophisticated, drink me, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess the seal is kind of neat, um, you know, having that on there. They're obviously very proud of being from Nevada, <laughs> on there four separate times. Um, <laughs> That's true. I think this wine may be from Nevada. It might be. It's entirely possible. Um, but, you know, like the back of it, yeah, still, I mean, I just, I do really like that, that, that printed on to the bottle thing. I think that's really cool looking. Um, and then, you know, like you're pointing out before with the other one where it's kind of at least talks about the grape a bit, which I think is a good route to go, you know, for, for labels. Maybe not talk about your wine specifically, but the grape in general, because then, you know, that's not going to completely change. Well, I mean, 
And also, Barbera is not as familiar a grape to some people as, say, you know, no. other that's, stuff. That's very true, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like both of these, you know, both of those labels for different reasons, and I think they both say different things, you know, based on genus. I feel like the other one is a little more casual um, with the hand drawing, but still classy. Hold on, there's a huge gust of wind right now. Is there? Oh my goodness. I'm running out of things to put on top of other things. You just kind of blow them away. And what do you think really of the Caduceus bottle? I'm surprised you bothered trying out there. Well, when we started, it wasn't as bad. Oh, gotcha. Sounds about right. Arizona likes to do that. So last but not least, the Caduceus label. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously fairly familiar with this one. I I almost sometimes feel like it's there's too much going on. Like, you know, I, I, I really like the, you know, the, the, the symbol thing that he's got going on, the, you know, the actual producer. Like, I think that's super cool. But I don't, like, I feel like there's too many words. Like, the fact that he's, you know, the staff of God Hermes, like, that should be on the back of the label, not on the front. Um, and I feel like there's not enough spacing between, like, I feel like they need to be brought up a bit. Well, it's very just, I don't know, it's very crammed to me. Um, and the back, yeah. I mean, I, there's something about it that's off, I think maybe because something, some of the, you know, like the, the description is, is, you know, not centered, but then the other things are centered, I don't know, there's something about the layout of it that seems strange to me, like I want it all centered or all, you know, justified, I don't know, it's weird, too much going on. That's what I feel about this label, is there's too much going on. <laughs> Alrighty. Will you be available to discuss another wine here in a bit? Um, probably. I'm just, I'm just building a web, well, building a web page. Or, a, yeah, page for the website for Oak Creek, so I'm mostly available. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, I will uh, let you go and get back to that for now. Okay, sounds good. Adios. Bye. Bye. And with that, uh, I think we uh, can close out with Barbera for now. Um, which was your favorite? Um, I really liked all three of them for different reasons. I mean, they had certain things in common. Kind of the herbs was really prominent on all three of them. The first one was so concentrated that gave it a special pleasure. And conversely, the second one was so bright. It was so sort of almost Pinot Noir-like. So that made it have kind of a special fla flavor. And I also really liked this blend. I think it was a brilliant combination of like, just the way that Merlot fills in some of the gaps from Barbera and Barbera fills in some of the gaps in Merlot and it makes just a perfect wine. And I really liked the last wine that it was older too because you can see how a wine ages and maybe some of the fruit aromas and flavors kind of diminish a little bit, but some of the other flavors really come out. 
And what's interesting to me is we have two new world wines and we paired them, you know, we, com we compared them with an old world wine. There's usually a pretty, a bigger difference between them, but a lot of the characteristics on the old world wine were the same as the ones on the new world wines. Yeah. So Barbera may be a grape that just doesn't lend itself well to that sort of new world style approach. Yeah. And Maybe. also the kind of micro regions that both Arizona and Nevada represent. And I'm sorry, not Arizona, New Mexico and Nevada represent. Arizona too, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, on that note, gang, uh, we're going to drink some more wine and have a snack and record another podcast. So until next time, make America grape again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. I am Elizabeth Krecker with the fabulous photographer Janelle Bonifield. I am writer of the soon-to-be-published Arizona Wine, the vineyards, wineries, and winemakers of the Grand Canyon State. You can find out more about my travels in the wine world at grapeexploration.com. Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. Sorry.